HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a platform that connects restaurants with people. Learn more at getbento.com slash opening soon. That is G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com forward slash opening soon. Hi, this is Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McCreary. And we are the hosts of Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. We listen to HRN and are actually guests on several shows before bringing our own show to this network. And it's been so amazing to see and hear the unparalleled content that comes from our community, even with limited financial resources. HRN's been making food radio for 10 years. HRN staff and hosts make it look really easy, but making the best food radio out there is actually really hard work. We're super excited to be a part of Heritage Radio Network, and we invite you to join us in making sure that in our second decade, HRN is stronger than ever. So become a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show your support by selecting opening soon in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. soon on Heritage Radio Network. We are your hosts. I'm Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McQuarrie. And if you are just tuning in for our season, Opening Soon is a show all about getting restaurants open. We're going through the business plan with industry leaders, chefs, restaurateurs, and the vendors that will help take your idea to opening soon. So if you've listened to one of our earlier episodes, then um, actually, if you haven't listened to one of our earlier episodes, then go back and listen to them, please. But if you if you have, then you'll know that um, our backstory and kind of why we're here is that we're not very good, basically terrible at opening restaurants, um, but we're pretty good at making workwear. And through doing that with our company, Till at NYC, we've been able to meet you know a ton of great startup restaurant tours and kind of see their journey and really thought it would be interesting to have them share some of their stories and their lessons, whether good or bad with people out there that are, you know, getting ready to start their own journey. Um, and so today with us, we have Nikki Russ Fetterman and Josh Russ Tupper of New York City Institution Russ and Daughters. Um, before we jump into our topic with them, we're going to do a quick wrap up from last week with James Kent and Jeff Katz. We were chatting um, a little bit about their dynamic between the dining room and the kitchen, as well as the menu and, and the development of the menu and how that plays into the um, culture of the restaurant itself and the, and the way the team works together. And so five points from that, uh, from that conversation. Number one was that it's okay to not be defined by genre. So, you know, a lot of times people try to fit into whether it's a sushi place or a steakhouse, um, but they're not doing that. They're kind of going with something new um, and kind of letting the menu speak for itself. And their second key takeaway uh, was not calling something the front of house and the back of house, but rather they see their restaurant as a dining room and as a kitchen. And this is really so that we're not saying, you know, we value being chef driven or hospitality driven more than, you know, the whole sum of the parts coming together and treating guests like you would a room in your house. And number three stems from that from that same philosophy, and, and it's about trust. And uh, James and Jeff talked a lot about being able to trust one another, the dining room being able to trust the kitchen, um, and understanding that they're doing everything that they can to the best that they can, and that that is you know their role um, and allows them to do their, their own job, individual job, better. 
And they, they said that really translates to their staff too. And that's how, you know, they marry this culture is because they show that they have trust, which I thought was interesting. Um, and then the, the number four was don't be afraid to stay true to your vision. So they talked a lot about how, you know, if you strip away everything that you feel like makes your identity because you risk offending somebody, they, they, like their example is they like to play a lot of hip hop, then um, you'll have this very vanilla experience. Whereas, you know, if you have a vision, um, it's okay to stay on brand, even if not 100% of people will love it. And the last takeaway from uh, last week uh, really uh, resonates with me is creating a space that people want to come back to. And that's not just for the guest. Obviously, it is for the guest. You want them to come back every time. But it's also for the team. So whether a team member leaves off on a new adventure that they might want to come back in five years and really you know, fostering that experience inside the restaurant. So this week's episode of Opening Soon is all about building a brand that lasts. You've designed your restaurant. You've sourced the decor and the details of the menu and have all your pieces in place, but how do you ensure you make a lasting impression on your customers and make sure that your brand is echoed across every part of your business to create a unified and memorable guest experience? And how do you do that where it can last a century? Impressive. So uh, again, today we're joined by cousins and fourth generation co-owners of Russ and Daughters, Nikki Russ Fetterman and Josh Russ Tupper. Thanks Russ and daughters. Yeah, we're so happy you're here. here. We're, we're fanboys yes. and girls. Yes. <laughs> so we're like and so Lower East Side neighbors. And Lower East Side neighbors, true. So if you don't know and you've been living in a hole, then Russ and Daughters is an appetizing shop that opened in 1914 in New York's Lower East Side. Uh, it's a beloved institution by locals, tourists, um, and Nikki and Josh have been helming and expanding the brand since 2009. So for us, for Jenny and I, Lower East Side residents, for... You know, most of the time that we've been in New York for the last 15 years, Russ and Daughters brand is synonymous both with the nostalgia of a bygone dining era and as an institution of quality and care and attention that they put into the food that they make. Um, since they've taken over, uh, Nikki and Josh have um, opened an always buzzing cafe on Orchard Street. They have a location inside the Jewish Museum on Fifth Avenue. And just earlier this year, they've opened an 18,000 square foot commercial kitchen. That is not a misprint. It's 18,000 square feet. It's I really see, big. I see heavy size in the studio today. Along with the commercial kitchen, they have a retail outlet and an event space. Uh, and all of that is in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Thank you guys so much for being here. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having us. So why don't you just tell us, you know, you took over the business in 2009, but up until that time, there was the one original location. So tell us how you guys got into the business. And then when did you decide, hey, it's time to, to take it into the next phase? Uh, we have pretty different paths. Yeah. Um, I was never involved in the business. Uh, and 16 years ago, I was working as an engineer in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I rebelled for my ashram upbringing <laughs> and became a chemical engineer and when I heard through the grapevine that my uncle Nikki's father was uh, looking for his exit strategy um, I went to him and said I would leave my career to get involved in the business and over the course of four months he tried to convince me not to do that he was like this is a terrible idea um, wow. or really from his perspective tried to understand if I was very serious uh, and had the wherewithal or the ability or the drive to actually work in a retail business, which is difficult. Um, and after four months of, of us talking, I left my career and came to New York in 2002. Had you had any retail experience or had you ever worked at the shop as a kid? Or? No. Nothing? No. Wow. It, it, okay. Retail, yeah, my first job was in Brooks Brothers, mm. the Woodbury okay. Commons upstate. Um, but that was basically the extent of my retail experience. A little different. Hilarious. Not, <laughs> different than not that. restaurant, right. food. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was out there. And, I, you know, what I convinced him of was that I could learn anything. Um, and, you know, I'd figure it out. And that's not a great argument when so Yeah. <laughs> so, I think right. I can so, figure it out. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> I actually grew up in the store okay. uh, as a a shop kid my parents ran Russ and Daughters for 30 years um and so I I I grew up understanding on some level that there was some magic in this tiny little shop and um but I was also educated and encouraged to do anything but this so your dad also was like don't come into the (laughs) into the restaurant business or 
I think he, no, he always harbored a hope that I would. Okay. Um, but sort of, you know, back then, it was before sort of the food world exploded into what it is now. Mm. And I don't think it was seen as like, this is, you know, a, a, a smart thing to do, or this is what you would, you know, we would, you would want for your kids. Also right. because they, they knew how hard it it's was. They didn't, you didn't, they didn't wish that on me. Um, so I, I did, I, you know, spent like seven years after college kind of checking everything off my list, all my, you know, nine lives. And then I came back for thinking that it was just um, going to be a temporary thing just until I figured out my next move. Um, and I had some projects I wanted to do for the shop. Um, my father took this sign of interest as his exit strategy. I see. Yeah. And so then it was sort of, I kind of got thrust into a double bind because he's kind of, he told me either I had to decide right away if I was going to take over um, or he was going to have to sell because he didn't have any other, you know, he did, there was no plan B. Um, what year was this? This is uh, uh, 2001, 2002. And this is the same year that you're moving back. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. So I realized that even though I never wanted to see Russ and Daughters die, I also didn't want my life to be kind of like decided for me. I didn't want... I didn't want to be the, the exit strategy. That's a lot, right. that's that's a lot, a lot of pressure. pressure. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> but the stories converge because you were privy to my conversations with Mark. Yeah. It wasn't like, all right, later, sell it. Yeah. Right. Um, and at the point where <laughs> Nikki was like, I'm not going to stay here under your thumb and try to figure out this business under you. I'm going to go and finish my exploring. Right. Mark ultimately came to me and he actually says this is the reason. He was like, Nikki was out. So I said, all right, let's. Let's try this. Yeah. So were you guys talking about this as well? No. Are you were no. each having no. independent discussions? In a, yeah. in a way, it actually father. worked okay. out perfectly because my leaving allowed Josh to come in and establish himself and learn the business without me being there. Mm-hmm. And then I had time to go off and sort of think for myself, like, what is this place called Russ and Daughters? And what is the meaning that it holds for me and the greater meaning? And what can I do with it? You wow. know? Um, and I shifted my perspective from thinking like, oh, it just always has to stay exactly the same to, wait, I can actually, there's opportunity here. I can, mm-hmm. I can grow this. I can build on it. And that's when we, Josh and I kind of came, converged and started talking about working together and then like, okay, so what does that look like? Like, what do we want for ourselves and for us and daughters? And this is in 2007 or? It was like 2006. We came back together. We um, worked together for three years and then officially, you know, ownership, we uh, was transferred to us. um, We bought the business in 2000. Nine. So that's it. So you guys worked through the business at different time periods, but then sort of found out that you had the same vision alignment, and that was really to like grow the brand and expand the brand, and and tell us how. Like, when did you say, okay, this is the right moment? We're going to expand into this, you know, into having a cafe and all these kind of things. It, it, it was interesting because you know we we came together in two thousand six and <clears throat> we're aligned in in our idea of the three to five year plan, and yeah, there would be some growth, but let's not think about that and let's figure out how to make this hundred year old business run more efficiently. Um, We need a POS system. We need a proper website. We need like all of these, the background technology, taking orders, um, even some display cases. Um, And that's like steering a freighter, (laughs) right? You don't just, you know, turn the wheel and it goes that no, way. People would like right. literally freak out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to do it and the and to keep, you know, people's idea of what Russ and Daughters is right. yeah, the, the, positive. One of the, it can obviously change, but to keep it positive and keep it Yeah, one of the big principles in that stage of our, our development was we need to change all these things and make the business run better, but we don't want anyone to know it. Yeah, so right. your brand stayed the same. I mean that's a really key point too. It's a like key point because you asked earlier when we were yeah. ha- having lunch before the show, you know, what what did you change? And the truth is that you didn't really see much. It was more from behind the scenes. What happened on, on your side yeah. operationally that made it yeah. smoother? Right. I you mean, so, that. some people think that we started the restaurant when we started looking for a space, but we actually started five years before that. We right. were putting like the putting pieces making in sure place. this is a well-oiled machine before, exactly so we can step out. Exactly. And then once those changes happened, we actively were like, okay, 
we're ready for this. Yeah. That being said, you're never ready to start a restaurant. <laughs> Tell us some, I mean, everybody has their own idea probably of, of what the Ross and Daughters brand means to them, but tell us, you know, kind of how you guys look at it from as the owners of the business now of how you see it and how you want your customers in the world to see what, what the brand, the story is behind the business. I think Russ and Daughters is a literal taste of New York yeah. and New York history. And it's not, it's a living history. Right. Um, and, uh, we are the torchbearers of appetizing, which is one of New York's most kind of unique and homegrown food traditions. So, you know, bagels and locks, that's appetizing. You know, herring, that's appetizing. Babka and black and white, like that's all. God bless babka. Yeah. Babka is very appetizing. <laughs> it's very appetizing. <laughs> um, and uh, so we are providing, Rest and Dars gives this sort of link, the con- uh, to um, remembering who you are and where you come from through our food and this and this place. Um, one, of, one of the big things for our, as we understand our brand, is is the Russ and Daughters experience. Mm-hmm. That is, we both understand it very well, and there's a, a bunch of our employees that also understand it very well. When we bring someone in, we try to say, this is what we're going for, exactly the question you're asking. And call it like the soul of the store or the business itself has a, a, a soul yep. and that's walking into this place and, and visually seeing the uh, beautiful counters and showcases and shelves put together nicely and having those smells come mm-hmm. at you with a mixture of pickled herring and smoked fish and, and bagels um, and then getting the experience from the clerks of an expert that can either guide you exactly through what you want to order or what he thinks you want to order or tell you about all the fish and all these things. So there's like all of these elements that come together to form this Russ and Daughters experience that is really the heart and soul of our brand. And it's hard to take that that's in this hundred year old space that's like been really special and all these people sort of visualize that, can smell it, can taste it, can touch it, and then you put it into a cafe so that a brand how did, new piece a yeah, brand new take piece, that old history and then put it into a different experience yeah but you still really like you walk into you know the Russ and Daughters Cafe on Orchard Street and you have that experience and you know we just saw Chef Missy Robbins and she said I went to the Brooklyn Navy Yard and I had that same experience what how did you guys think about like the pieces that you're going to put in place as you've expanded to guarantee that experience for your customers yeah, I mean, that was definitely a driving um, objective, but also a real concern. You yeah. know, how do you take That's 100 years scary. of history? <laughs> right, is and it we're, the sign? Is it the people? Is it right. all and, of those and, things? And I think the first part, the, first, the starting point was realizing we cannot and we will not try to replicate the original store. That right. is unique, and we're not going to turn it into some, like, Disney version of itself. Right, We're not right. going to build out a new restaurant space and then try to make it look old. Um, you know, and we realize like, we're Russell Dars. We are old. We don't need to start, you know, <laughs> right, like... Right. Faux finishes faux on the wall. finishing. Right. And, right. Um, and so then it, then it was okay. The question of okay, what are the what are these elements of Russ and Daughters so that you walk into this new space and you have that feeling of of that continuous hundred and five years of history and and you know it's so many things put together. Everything from the illum- you know the hand painted um, signs, yeah. uh, illuminated signs, the the white coats that we wear, um, the uh, the sort of mismatched jars of you know dried fruit next to you know sardines um, <laughs> and obviously the food and then you know that's the through line really right, right? Right. Um, so and then just thinking okay how do you take our food which has been in a retail shop and played it and present it for a proper sit down meal but it has to the blintzes have to taste the same you know to make people Think about the blends that they had from Russell Dars 40 years ago, right. but it but it has to be elevated so that they feel good about sitting down. And um, everything was a debate um, and this question of like, 
how do we how do we keep this very fine line going of um, not wanting to fall back into the past, but also not sort of just making it so contemporary or chic or that it alienates people from the the Ross and Dodge experience. S- seeing the the end product of the cafe or the Navy Yard <clears throat> may look like we had it all planned out from the start. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, as Nikki was saying, each decision, design decision, uh, even menu decision that came up, there was like this back and forth debate. And while Nikki and I are aligned in a lot of ways, we have a very good uh, repartee back and forth and, and offer different ideas around some things. So it works really well, but it's sort of like the, the appetizing is for spice. It's like all these little foods that you can put together and add. And it's sort of how the design of a new place for us comes together. Like you take these elements, like right. this is an element that we really need to, to put in the new space, but how are we going to work around that and make the counters look right and what edge on the counters? And but So every decision it's, is yeah. a, a lot of back and forth and, and we really deliberate over did you have other other people, any brand loyalists that you were bouncing ideas off of while going through this? Family members, or yeah, or did we you have... specifically stay away from family <laughs> yeah, input. Yeah, family, that's <laughs> a lot. We don't want your opinion, but we do want your opinion. Right. Um, we we actually I think stayed away from family and and longtime customers, customers yeah. because of the intensity of the feelings and the right. sort of possessiveness that people feel. Um, you know, people every, feel ownership. I mean, you guys were saying this before. People feel like ownership of the brand because they love it right. so, right. and they don't want us to change. Right. You Which know, is, I mean, it's people, obviously that's an amazing thing that right. people feel that connected. That's right. In that, people come know. into our shop, and if they see one new person on the counter, <laughs> they're like, "Who are <laughs> you?" Yeah. But this happens and, all the time. We're like, "Who's really? the new guy?" We're like. Uh, Did that, that happen guy, when you? When that you guy's came been there the seven shop? years. Like what, <laughs> yeah. like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, new to them. Did that happen? Because I've seen both of you guys behind the counter at some point. Oh yeah, I was behind the counter happen? often oh, yeah. I mean, from the beginning, and yeah, but it was a little easier to be like, oh, this is the fourth generation Russ. Yeah, or, yeah I got I got part of the name yeah. out there, so we, we're cool. <laughs> when we were doing the cafe, I think we were we were keeping it very tight and not really talking much about it, right? Um, because we felt that that onus on us of like we have we're the stewards of this precious thing and we Uh don't want to mess it up to put it nicely um and also we don't you know people don't want us to change so how do you change while making you know people still feel like it makes sense to them and when we open the restaurant restaurant's cafe and i had friends and family and you know, to hear the comments coming back. And most of them were like, what took you so long? That's great. <laughs> um, yeah, like, oh, that's okay. Amazing. Or I've been coming here. This is, you know, I'm the third generation of my family coming here. Yeah. And this reminds me of, you know, being in the shop. Or, And that was the biggest validation. Um, but we kind of couldn't let people in because, you know, people couldn't visualize. We'd say like, oh, yeah, we're going to open a restaurant they'd say well they'd always try to compare it to something else you know oh it's going to be like balthazar is it going to be like the old ratners and we had enough trouble trying to make these decisions between us and you know our our graphic designer and and the the contractors that were working for us so to off to to bring in (laughs) other family (laughs) and customers who have tons of opinions would have just really confused the situation so once the so once the cafe was open the og customers sort of came around and loved and embraced it or yeah yeah it was amazing, um, you know, but, from day one. Yeah, hilarious to think. I mean, we, when we when we started talking about, yeah, we're doing this project, we would have customers literally livid. Uh, and we're like, what? <laughs> what? How can you, why are you reacting so strongly? What? You're just going to, you're going to fuck it up. You're going to really ruin the store. <laughs> like, you, oh, God. I, people, yeah. So people are like angry at yeah. you. People yeah. were probably scared that something might happen to, to the, the store, store that they had been going to forever or that... Now you guys are going to run around open 50 restaurants and leave the appetizing store out on its own yeah. or something. But that'll never happen, guys. It's that'll okay. never happen. No. Russ and Dr. Loyalist <laughs> take Not going anywhere. Never happen. Do not um, worry. What, what do you feel like were some of your like uh, branding wins in the, in this cafe that that really you know sort of hammered at home aside from like the um, the hand painted 
details and did you feel like how did you bring I, I feel like the staff culture and the, the way that you're embraced is very important to the appetizing store experience how did you translate that did any of your team members come with you to that store or well in the you know if you walk into Russ and Daughters Cafe um, on the right left side is seating on the right side is the we have a counter right. a slicing station and then an open kitchen and um, it was very important to us to think about, you know, the count over the counter experience at our shop is so essential to Russ yeah. and Daughters. So we thought, like, how do you bring this to a restaurant? So the bar, we didn't want it, we wanted the bar to feel more like a, you know, a luncheonette. Um, and we wanted there to be a salmon slicing station where you could watch, you know, one of our slicers slice the fish by hand you could have a conversation over the counter um and the kitchen we wanted an open kitchen because at our shop the slight people on the counter there's no front of house back of house differentiation and so in a way we were naive restaurateurs because we didn't really understand the sort of the hierarchy or the 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 organizational chart of a restaurant right. and right. why there are roles and and so we're like yeah let's have an open kitchen and let you know yeah um, but I think that naivete was important for us to just again keep that link between the shop and the restaurant yeah and the the real interaction that's happening at the at the cafe between the the clientele and the the staff is the front of house and there's just a lot of training. Yeah. Um, Nikki and I sitting down, uh, you know, we had training for two weeks before we opened. A lot of talking about the store and the history of the store and that Russ and Daughters experience. We talked about tasting food, uh, talking about how to describe it, um, but really sort of trying to translate the, the weight that we feel, the weight of our family's history. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, maybe weight is a, the wrong word, but it's, it's also like we're privileged to be the stewards of this store and brand and the impact it has on our customers and how it makes them feel and, and how we've been with them through different stages of their, of their life, happy and sad. And, and when you can impart that to, to the, the servers, um, they really feel empowered to like carry on that that idea and the brand of, of Russ and Daughters. Yeah. I, can you talk a little bit about, because we talked about this at lunch and I thought it was really interesting about the location for the cafe as your, like, your first expansion and how you came up with the Orchard Street one? Yeah, we were, we almost got it very wrong. Um, we thought if we're going to expand, then it makes sense to go to a dip- different neighborhood. We've been on the Lower East Side for a hundred years. Um, and so we started looking at spaces in other parts of uh, Manhattan. And we actually got, we were going to sign a lease on a space in Chelsea. And it was going to be a 5,000, was a 5,000 square foot space. And we thought, oh, we could have our bakery, our, an appetizing counter, a sit-down restaurant, you know, our, a production space. We were going to do it all. All in. Which... Is first go lesson one. That is just that, that was a Sometimes terrible idea to begin with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, because you went big. <laughs> and um, it was the night before we were gonna sign the lease. I um, I just started to have second doubts, second thoughts, and I was talking to my husband about it. I just I said, you know, I just this doesn't feel right. This does not feel right. And at that moment, literally, Josh called and he said, I don't know. This doesn't feel right. And we, we talked about it, and what we realized was actually that the restaurant had to be on the Lower East Side. So much of the experience of Russ and Daughters is tied up with the history of, um, of the neighborhood, of the place. People come to Russ and Daughters because it evokes memory. And, um, and as with the Lower East Side changing so much, there are fewer and fewer places. And so we realized, wait, this we have almost an obligation to stay on this, you know, stay here and stay local. And after that, um, it actually, things started to move very quickly because then we really had a much more, a a clear purpose and understanding of what we were doing. And um, it was 
a lot easier to find the right space with the right landlord and um, and I'm glad that you know we kind of got the best of both worlds because it's not next to our shop right. you have to walk two and a half blocks but you walk down Orchard Street and you can you know look at all these tenements you can feel the history and the sense of place and then you get to our restaurant mm-hmm. so um, it's you learn a lot when you make a mistake or you're about to make or, a mistake. Yeah. It's a circuitous route, but we found the right spot. But And I think that's like a really interesting point for your brand too, because as you're like reaching new generations of customers, you're really thinking about like how it makes sense for time and place for them to understand the experience so it all makes sense in, in one place, which I think is yeah. like, you guys are really good at, at that from a brand building perspective. Um, okay, I think we need to take a super quick break um, to hear from our friends at Bento Box, but we will be back with more. Pete Turner opened Illegal Pete's in 1995 in Boulder, Colorado. His vision was to bring mission-style burritos to the local college students. Illegal Pete's has grown to nine locations in Colorado, two in Arizona, with plans for more on the way. But Pete, a big music fan, wanted to offer more than just burritos. He launched the Starving Artist Program, where he gives touring bands a free meal when they come through town. Bento Box connected Illegal Pete's with people by designing a new website with a career page showcasing their industry-leading mission and paying living wages and benefits to their employees. Illegal Pete's is one of 4,000 restaurants that's powered by Bento. Visit getbento.com slash opening soon to learn more. Welcome back. Uh, again, just a refresher, but we're sitting here chatting with uh, Nikki and Josh, uh, the owners and proprietors of Russ and Daughters in the Lower East Side, uh, in the Lower East Side, and also in um, Brooklyn Navy Yard as well. Um, a couple of the, the key points that I thought were the most interesting from um, the first half of our show is um, in going, you know, the cafe. How you guys, you know, carried the brand over, but you know, made very specific intent not to replicate what this this appetizing store was and is um, and I think that's a really important way to think about your brand is you know not just um, doing the same thing over and over to keep it consistent it's about you know expanding on the voice of what it is without without exa- exactly doing that um, and then the second one you know the of different ways that you kind of brought the brand voice of the appetizing shop across to the cafe um, I I think for most restaurateurs, it makes a lot of sense in carrying that sort of attention to the food. And that's, you know, what you talked about that was the bridge 100% between the two. Um, and then, uh, you know, and talking about that, kind of tell us how, and we were just talking about before the break, about how important the neighborhood itself was to the cafe. And that's why you chose that over the Chelsea store. How did, how did you then make the jump to Brooklyn? And how, how is that? Well, we first made the jump to, jump to the Upper East Side. Right. The, the, yeah. 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 the museum. And maybe in between there, we made a jump to Bushwick. Okay. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I mean, after we opened the restaurant, we really focused on uh, making our own bagels and having an, a facility to, to do e-commerce out of, which relieves a lot of stress on the store. So we actually opened a place three blocks from here. Yeah, from um, where in... Right. Well, I would imagine that there's the uh, rent for an eighteen thousand Lower East Side. <laughs> well, and our and our first <laughs> our first production facility and bakery was five thousand square feet. Okay. Um, so that happened, and then the the wow, that's impressive. So how long from five thousand to eighteen thousand? Yeah. Yeah. How long was how long were you in the five thousand square foot space? Uh, no, we didn't. Four years. Three. Three years? Yeah. Before you're like, oh, shit, this is too well, small. Well, as soon as the, we finished it. Yeah, we built it out and then realized, oh, this is too small. <laughs> um, right. We've and, done that. And also, we've been there. Room in Brooklyn? We do. At the we Navy Yard, we oh, definitely have, have, we have a lot of... And that was the thing. We realized, wait, we're, we're Russ and Daughters. We're, we do things for 100 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, this space is not going to 
hold us even for five years. I love wow. that you're thinking like that, though. Like, we do. We do this for a hundred years. We, I, that's amazing. We, um, uh, that's when why we built brand that last, by the way. <laughs> I, I totally agree. You know, I yeah. tell people um, who are just starting out, um, uh, you know, think about how you would run this for a hundred years. Think about this business as a family business, and what would you want to pass on to another yeah. generation, not just of you know your family, but your customers. Because I think, you know, it, it, that, that idea runs so counter to mm-hmm. sort of the general wisdom, which is like, build it, grow it as fast as you so, can, as big as you can, right. you know, sell it, go big. Um, and I think that, you know, you there's a different sensibility and you build something differently if you're doing so it to true. last. It's so true. Wh- whatever you your intentions are to, yeah. to understand and, and to think about the future of a brand yeah. is important for right. a successful brand of business. Yeah. But also maybe don't think about it as a brand. You know, yeah. I think a lot of people start out and they want to have this very clear, neatly packaged idea of the brand. And and have their their logo and the design and the, everything mapped out perfectly. And when I think of the brands that have the most impact and evoke the most emotion, it's the ones that aren't perfect. Like where there's a there's a there's some What's grit. What's the brand that there, inspires? I mean, you? I'm we're sitting here at Roberta's. You yeah. know, like. They, they, this There's did not. It's perfectly imperfect here. It's perfectly imperfect, and it started out, you, you know, without experience. this idea of like, yeah. oh, we're going to turn into this great. Right. It, it just yeah. was very, you know, what what can we do that's great here in this neighborhood? Yeah. Create the experience, right. create the um, connection, and develop the brand right. throughout yeah. a good connection and happy customers. Yeah. And so you guys, because you wanted to preserve like the right, like the food traditions and, you know, making sure that that was, that's when you guys decided to start making your own bagels and babka and everything else. Right. Right. Um, we, we had a hard time with suppliers for bagels. We had a separate recipe from the bagels we sold to everyone else. Um, so it just made sense for us to make bagels. So soon after the cafe opened, we, we built and opened a bakery, uh, in Bushwick and, then were approached by the Jewish Museum on 92nd and 5th um, to open in their basement um, a cafe, and it seems like sense. a very good uh, shidduch yeah. connection. Um, so yeah, we did that only a couple of years after. Yeah, we get a we get approached a lot, like every week. There's every week, wow. yeah, yeah. Like there's, Holy you shit. know, come here, do this, let's do that, um, and we say no, literally every week, every week um, <laughs> until there's things are coming on the show. Got to be got objective. But different, we different. so we say yes. You know, the Jewish Museum was one where we, after really digging into it, thought, okay, this is the this is one that we can't say no to. Right. And again, I think that's a different approach, you know, like don't always just go after everything, like really actually be picky until there's something that you just, you know, you have to do. Um, is that like a gut check for you guys or is it like, uh, or do you have like really, you know, or is it like something very thoughtful and methodical of like what you're saying yes and no to? A little of both. Uh, you know, there's a, the initial feeling, which you should always try to not listen to yeah. it's got to be i'm uh, sure you guys then, have gotten wooed by some pretty yeah nice offers at some point it's gonna yeah. be hard to be able to say this might not be right even though it's but af- after that after that initial right. gut response that you have you, you know nikki and i are good about this we will like sit down and like sort of vet the concept and the idea and look at the pros and the cons and um so i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's so methodical but it's it's a little both and then, and what's your gut after you talk about the right. reality of it? And having been in this industry, you know how hard it is and, and what it takes. And so these sexy ideas, you know, when you think about the reality of actually executing on that, you know, it, it's, um, you, you don't, you can't just jump into something willy-nilly. Right. And we understand that. So, um, yeah, but we... I have like four appointments for our trip this weekend. Like all kinds of people emailing me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're doing a pop-up in L.A. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and the same thing with Russ and Daughters at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. I mean, taking an 18,000-square-foot space, 
Um, it's giving me anxiety is, just hearing that number. Yeah, I, <laughs> me too. If I think in the short term, I like want to have a heart like, attack. So you're thinking 100 years, which totally makes sense. Like, exactly. Yeah. It's like this is how do we keep Russ and Daughters firmly planted in New York City? Um, you need space for that, and yeah. you need to secure that now, even though we don't need that space now. Um, and we wanted people to be able to appreciate the work that we do. Um, I think, you know, it takes us two days to make our bagels because we don't cut corners and we make a two real days? It's a two day process. So next time you eat that Russ and Daughters bagels, yeah. people think about that two days. That's right. Mm. Um, and, you know, bagels. So I don't think a lot of people realize when they get, a, well, most bagels are made much quicker. And, um, but we want people to see the work and appreciate the craft. Um, so we put our ba- bakery on full view. Um, and uh, and these you can you can get these online as well, right? This yeah, we ship all like, over the country, and you, you can get their be. salmon online too. Yeah, yeah. not Great. internationally, not internationally, much to uh, Missy sh- Missy's chagrin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. All right, should we move on? I think we yeah, let's we do. could easily talk about a whole lot more with you guys. Yeah, um, hundred years worth of stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna go into some some sort of quick fire questions of sorts. Um, so like more of like a one word kind of answer, but um, whoever wants Doubles. to take <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> uh, one word that describes how you feel about being your own boss. And actually, do you feel like your own boss? Just with like we've talked about the ownership of the store and the, the tradition, the history. Maybe that's a longer answer. That is that. the <laughs> better question. Yeah. There's supposed to be one word. Do I you mean, feel like your own boss? How about that? Well, we're co-bosses, no. No. <laughs> which. Which I think um, really helps guide Russ and Daughters because there are two of us, so we kind of balance each other out and check each other from making dumb decisions. Um, and then it also makes life a little bit more um, uh, livable. You know, yeah. our quality of life is better because there are two of us and, you I, know. I really think that, that our bosses are our employees mm-hmm. and our customers, um, and we both... Uh, feel that way and it's it's in part because we're representing a 105 years of our family's reputation and business um that we can't fuck it up yeah um and if we only listen to each other or ourselves then we probably would make some wrong decisions you guys are doing a yeah. good job <laughs> like, yeah you never yeah you never you're truly okay. you're uh, you're always working for somebody i always right? say we work yeah. for our customers yeah. too yeah yeah, yeah. Um, when did you, I, oh wait, sorry. Um, number of days off in the first year, a charge of the shop. First year in charge of the shop. Yeah. 2009 to 2010, I guess. Oh, I, I think, didn't remember. I, <laughs> I had about 40 and Nikki had two. Really? No. How did that happen? Oh, okay. You guys think, yeah. <laughs> like, um, Josh you know, get into the deal. Do you feel this, like, were you this, the type of person that's, like, working all the time, or are you, like, do you no, know? No, we're, we're in it for the long game. So but there were, there were long days. And early on, yeah. we were, I don't know if we were still doing sixes. Yeah, but we, yeah. Oh, I yeah. did sixes. No, but then, <laughs> in 2010, yeah. I don't know if Probably. we were still doing sixes, but it was, like, three or four years, uh, six days a week. Wow. Um, and then... It's, it's and and Russ and Daughters is the holidays. It's like I mean twenty. We do twenty three to thirty days nuts. straight at the end of the year. Wow. Oh, that, um, oh, so like the Christmas holidays are busier for you than like the Jewish holidays. Jewish holidays are super busy. I know my mom. The end of your there, holidays yeah. is yeah. like this extended from Thanksgiving so, through January one. Does your whole team just, do the same? For the most part, no. We we. Because there are Work times you go in there little, on holidays and there are like 25 people yeah. behind the counter. Yeah. They're we like shoulder we want to give the employees, like I said, we work for them. So right. we would definitely take off less than they do. Well, but yeah, they, they work hard and long hours. <laughs> so usually the follow-up to that one is, what about in the last year? Last week. Or last week, sorry. Yeah. We're, on, we're pretty good about five. Five? Yeah. 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 Right, things All right. Uh, I know that's not the. <laughs> a no. lot of people will say like I work ten days straight. No. We've done that. Actually, most people who come on the show say like start recently. With what you say. Yeah. So, they say but they this is the thing. We we opened days. the Navy Yard uh, unofficially middle of December. Nikki and I were on the counter training, doing anything we could, and we were doing sixes some days, some weeks seven, right. uh, yeah. for three or four months. That's important. I think most most people do come on and say that's important to balance. And I think there's a misconception with young cooks that are going out to start their own business that 
you know, the more hours and the more time that you put into it, it's just going to be better. And it's, it's not true. I think and there's a lot your of anxiety about not being there is not helping right. anyone. Yeah. And you need if to be it fresh, fall to have apart. fresh ideas yeah, right. and to be a good manager yeah. and all those things that are right. important about being a boss. Yeah. And like Nikki said, in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. True. Um, this one always throws people for a loop, so I apologize in advance. But you're a world-renowned traveling speaker on the power of brand building. Give us your one-line motivational quotes or like the title of your book. <laughs> Keep it small and before you think about going big. Yeah. I like that. Be true to what you know. Yeah. These are both good ones. And I liked that you thought that we had said earlier about not looking at it as like this boxed product that everything has to be like it can there's a different way there's to look fluidity. at your brand yeah, yeah. Right. and I mean it's natural to you know you, when you build something that zoom you know to fast forward and think about your uh, you know cr- your success and you're gonna have 10 of these and it's you know right. and, and that of course you have to think that that's gonna happen but you also have to be perfectly happy with, with one, one thing for 100 years that's working really <laughs> that you get to work really well you know it works um and you're good with that. Yeah. If you move on to the next thing too quickly, you're not going to get the first thing right. That's very true. True. What about That's your... Good. Oh, I was going to say, what's the dream location for the next Russ? If there is going to be a next one. You guys can have different answers. We shouldn't have different answers, right. but I think I we like will. That. I think <laughs> we will. <laughs> no, this is, this is out there. Dream location. Dream, dream location. Dream location. Dream dream location. location. Oh. Yeah, okay, let's be, do yeah. the dream. Okay. Oh, I think Tokyo the, would be a really cool spot for us. On the top of a ski mountain. Really? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a dream. Nick, Nikki likes to ski. Okay. Yeah, it's it's, it's weird. I want to. Josh is on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think in Europe somewhere. Maybe right. Italy. Italy. Yeah. Russ in Italy. Yeah. And what about what's your th- what's your favorite thing about owning the Russ brand? The uh, the meaning that it has for so many people and keeping something like that going uh, and that it's relevant across generations, you know? Yeah, cool. I think that's the same. I, I'm strange if you ever see me out and, <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, you own wrestling others? I don't really want to have those conversations, but I do most enjoy the impact that what we do has on people. Yeah, yeah, literally everyone. <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. Everyone has a story. Cool. Everyone has their Russ and daughter story. You yeah. guys have your. Uh, yeah. You know, you've shared with us your story. My dad is geeking out listening to this. Right now. <laughs> yeah, Alex is really dad. Um, <laughs> and so you're part like, you know, you're providing food, but you're also providing like a platform for people to like share stories and memories. Mm-hmm. Right. So. What's the scariest thing about owning the Russ brands? Fucking it up. Fucking <laughs> up. <laughs> I knew the answer, but just wanted to hear you say it. Um, what's, the, what's your favorite thing on the Russ menu? Which menu? Which Let's menu? go cafe. cafe. Cafe? Yeah. I got a weird one. It, it's kind of my go-to. It's the kasha with a poached egg. Mm. Yeah. What is the number one seller on that menu? The classic. The so classic. classic. Yeah. yeah. Easy. Cool. Uh, I think we did it. So, um, any we usually give a shout out to any restaurants or um, bars, whatever that's o- that are opening up, opening soon. Anything that you guys have on your, on your radar? Radar. Hmm. Oh yeah. Wait. I feel like we always are hearing from people who are opening places. Um, buried under a rock for too long. <laughs> You're like I've been no buried under the I'm also PBR. I'm also a creature of <laughs> habit. Yeah. And I. I can't say the ones that I know are coming down the pipeline. But Jen, do you have anything? Yeah, Red Hook Tavern, we're really excited, is a um, full-service restaurant from Billy Journey of, um, of Hometown Barbecue that should be opening very soon in Red Hook. It's going to be old-school classics um, and delicious, so check I want to oh, give a little shout-out to the Taconic, Taconic Diner Okay. that yeah. someone took over, and I went and had a sandwich there for the first time Good. last weekend. It was it's awesome. Upstate New York. Yeah. yeah, upstate on my way to it upstate to the house cool i want to give a shout out actually to transmitter brewery um those guys just opened Mm. moved their brewery from long island city to right down the hall from us at the brooklyn navy yard building 77 and they have a you can 
you know, look into the brewery. The tap room is beautiful. And you can even take the ferry now right to our building in the Navy Yard, which is kind of great. That's Literally cool. like 77. 12 minutes from yeah. Midtown, yeah. six minutes from Wall there, Street. There's ever, have a line, a beer. ever a line at Russ and Daughters. You can take a number and go and have a beer. All right. That's More reason to, to go yeah. visit Russ at the Navy Yard. <laughs> I mean, that's a shout out, too. It's their newest location. Yeah. Still fairly six months in. So, yeah. Yep. Um, okay, cool. So next week, uh, we'll be chatting about making the most of your beverage program. Uh, joining us will be Ariel Ars of Air Champagne Lounge, Tokyo Record Bar, and Niche Niche. Uh, special thanks again, Nikki and Josh. Um, if you guys left your moleskin at work and you didn't take notes, we've got your back. You can check our blog on tillitnyc.com. Uh, we'll do a wrap-up of key points from today's show. Can you guys tell everybody where to find you on the social buzz spots? Well, at Russ and Daughters yep. and Blocks Populi is our Facebook handle. Russandaughters.com. And Orchard Street. Um, shipping internet or shipping nationally. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Josh just is like, almost strangled me. Shipping nationally. Russandaughters.com. Yes. Do it. Uh, for us, follow the journey on Heritage Radio and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at We Are Opening Soon and at Till at NYC. If you love what you're hearing, tell everyone you know. Go on your podcast, rate us, review us, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.